Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We are podcasting a Bible class every Sunday morning for those who cannot be with us at the building in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, and also for those who are listening in other parts of the country and around the world. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us in person. Study God's Word with us, worship God with us, grow spiritually with us at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ each Sunday morning at 9.30. Now, Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. And again, our Bible classes begin every Sunday morning at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30, Sunday evening worship at 6 o'clock, and Wednesday night Bible classes each Wednesday evening at 6.30. You're welcome to any and all of these services. Come and get to know us better. Let us get to know you. But now, if you can't be with us at the building, we're thankful to have the ability, the opportunity, and the means to be able to broadcast God's Word on such a widespread basis over the medium of the Internet by means of these podcasts. And we know that people listen in other parts of the country and, uh, and, and around the world, and we're thankful to be able to get God's Word out there all over the world wherever people have Internet access. And we pray that God is being pleased and glorified. Now, we want to encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And undoubtedly, you know people in your life who need to grow in their faith. They need to turn their life around, probably. Help them by sharing these studies with them through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody turn their life around, grow in their faith, come to God through Christ. You may help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be for them. But it will also be a great blessing for you. Also encourage everybody you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. Now, it's free. It always will be free. We keep emphasizing we're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And so when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smart device, whichever one they choose, our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons. They will automatically receive a daily Monday through Friday radio program, search the scriptures, and what I really think is a rather unique but also a wonderful Bible study every single day, seven days a week, but it's short, only about 13 minutes each day called today's Bible class. And so 13 minutes, yeah, we can fit that into our busy schedule, can't we? We can listen on the, we can listen to it on the way to work in the morning, coming home from work in the evening, or maybe on, and break time at work or at school, or maybe just taking a break from our chores around the house. But that's something that we can utilize to get us into God's word every single day and thereby help grow our faith. So encourage everyone you can to sign up for our podcasting. Again, it's always going to be free at churchofchrist.com. We're going to get back into our study of the early history of Israel. And really, we're looking at 
God's plan being developed and implemented for bringing the Savior into the world through the bloodline of Israel. Now, again, we began all the way back with the creation in Genesis chapter 1. We saw the early history of mankind up until the day of Moses, uh, of Noah, rather, when God determined that the wickedness of mankind was so great that the thoughts and intents of his heart was only evil continually. And so God destroyed mankind and basically the world and all life thereon except for the family of Noah who is found righteous in, in God's eyes, and also a representative sampling of the animal life upon this earth. And then we noted that God began to work through the bloodline of Abraham to bring about the nation of Israel. So Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They became ultimately the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And through that bloodline, God's plan was to send the Savior into the world in the physical person of Jesus. Now, all of that. Now, what we're looking at right now is when God, after the, after the son's the families of the sons of Jacob, while they were living in the nation of Egypt, as they grew into a mighty population, probably numbering somewhere between one and three million people, and the, the, the Pharaoh within Egypt at that time became concerned that they were becoming so numerous that they might turn against him and his government and, and Egypt and try to work with some kind of ally to conquer the nation for themselves. And so he made slaves out of them, uh, made it hard for them. And they cried to God in prayer for deliverance, and God sent Moses and Aaron to deliver them from the bondage under which they were serving the government of Egypt. And so God had already promised, going all the way back to Abraham, a land that he would give to Abraham's descendants. And so it was time. God was going to lead these Israelites that, that, that Moses and Aaron led out of Egypt, out of that bondage, to the promised land at this time. But when they got there, well, as we read and as we studied, Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan, and that was the land that was God was going to give to the people, to the Israelites, and that would become the nation of Israel. But 10 of those spies came back and said, we can't take that land. And it's, it's, uh, it's a tough land. Now, first they had said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. They brought back samples of the produce that was so wonderful that grew within the land. But when it came to to uh, advising whether they should go in and, and start the battles to conquer the land. They said, oh, we can't do that. The, the, the cities are, are massive. They're fortified. The people are mighty. And there's even giants over there. And we just, we're not powerful enough. We can't do it. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we're gra like grasshoppers in their eyes. Well, when they said we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes, they were already self-defeated. Their lack of faith had defeated them. Now, not lack of faith in their own ability, lack of faith in God's ability and power and promise to give them that land. Two, two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can do it. With God's help, we can go in and we can conquer that land. But the people listened to the 10 spies and they 
they it was kind of a threatening kind of thing. I believe we understood that posture that they, they held against Joshua and Caleb. Well, God's response was to pull them away from the borders of Canaan and let them piddle around in the wilderness in the wilderness in a big circle for 40 years so that entire generation from 20 years on up would die out and then God would lead their children which they had voiced such concern over our children going to die here and all that God's going to lead them into the promised land the children of those of those weak faithed adults would have stronger faith and God would give them the victory and drive out those inhabitants of the land from before them, and they would become the nation of Israel. Now, in Numbers, as we come toward the end of the book of Numbers, and we've already gone through Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, and we're a long way through Numbers already, but we come, we start coming to the point where the Israelites, as they are coming to the borders of different nations, that the kings of those, those nations are standing before them and not allowing them to come through their, their land, even though Moses sends word ahead that just let us pass through. We're going to be peaceful. We're not going to defile your land. We're, if, if we cause any problems, we'll restore it. But the kings, one after another, say, no, no, nope. And so they end up having to fight battles against those armies. And God gives them victory. In Numbers chapter 21, first he gives them victory against the Canaanites or over the Canaanites. And then when you look at verse 21 of chapter 21 in Numbers, we see another king, King Sihon. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites. Now, first it was the Canaanites they defeated. And then now the Amorites are standing before them. And, but, but, Israel sent messengers. They said, let, let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside from into the fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people, all his people together, and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from Arnon to Jabbok, as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities, and, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon and in all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab, and had taken all his land from his hand as far as Arnon. Therefore, those who speak in the Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built, let the city of Sihon be repaired. For the fire, for fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon, it consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the, of the heights of, the, of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab! You have perished, O people of Chemosh. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity. So Sihon, so Sihon, king of the Amorites, or to Sihon, king of the Amorites. But we have shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as Dibon. And then we laid waste as far as Nophah, which reaches to Mediba. 
Now thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. So <clears throat> from the scripture account, it seems in rather rapid succession that Israel is forced to fight against the Canaanites under uh, the Canaanites at, at, at uh, Hormah and the king of Arad, and God gives them victory there. Then the king of Sihon is, or King Sihon is defeated. The Amorites are defeated. And next we see them coming to Og, and God is going to give them victory there. In verse 33, of Numbers chapter 21, they turned and went up by the way to Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people until there was no survival left, no survivor left him, and they took possession of his land. Now we need to understand <clears throat> that even though they took possession of these various lands, none of them was where God intended for them to end up. None of them was the land that God had promised to give to them going all the way back to Abraham. Now Abraham never owned the land of Canaan. He owned a small part of it as a burial place and, and basically, but he never owned the land of Canaan. He never was the king of it. That was not God's plan, apparently. Neither did Isaac and neither did Jacob or his 12 sons, though they dwelt there. But now God is going to give the land to, the, to their descendants. And on the way, they are, God's, the Israelites are defeating king after king after king, and they're taking possession of their lands, but that's not where they're going to end up. God still wants them to be in Canaan, and that will become the national boundaries of what would be Israel for hundreds of years to come. In fact, basically, until Christ would come as the Savior and even thereafter for another number of years. <clears throat> well, we come to chapter 22, and this is really interesting because there's another king who stands in the way of the Israelites on their journey to the promised land, and this is King Balak. But Balak, and, and you have to understand that certainly all these different kings heard what was happening in all of these lands that Israel was going through and being forced to fight battles against the people of those lands one after another and how each king of those particular nations were being defeated one after another after another. And so Balak, he realizes um, he needs, in his mind at least, he needs to take a different tactic instead of just gathering all of his warriors and meeting the Israelite warriors face to face, well, that hasn't worked for any of these other kings up to this point. So he's, he's thinking of a new strategy, so to speak. Beginning with verse 22, uh, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 22, <clears throat> we read, Then the children of Israel moved 
and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now they're coming right up to the border of the promised land. The, the uh, Jordan River, the River Jordan, would be the boundary between, it, between Canaan, which would become Israel, and Moab, the land of Moab. So they're coming right up to the border here. Moab is on the other side of the Jordan River. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Well, you know, the word got out. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Huh. Well, he had heard about King Sihon being defeated. He had heard about the king of Arad, the Canaanite, being defeated. <clears throat> he had heard about, undoubtedly, the king, king Og being defeated. And now the Israelites are right up against him in his land. But they're not posing a threat they're not sending their warriors out and, and trying to siege the cities of Moab. They're simply going to the border of the, of the land that God promised them. But Balak, he's the king over Moab, and so he sees this mighty people, and he's heard report after report after report, undoubtedly, about what they have done in battle and conquest against king after king after king. So he was exceedingly afraid, verse 3 of chapter 22. And he was sick with dread, it says, because of the children of Israel. So you can imagine he sits in his throne room and he's talking to his advisors and perhaps to his uh, officers and his army. And, and is that, what do you think we ought to do? What can we do? What should we do? So Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox lick, licks up the grass of the field. That's interesting. <laughs> an interesting characterization of what he thinks is going to happen uh, when the Israelites decide to do battle against Moab. And so he says, this company, Israel, this people, they're going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. <laughs> in other words, he's already in his mind pretty much self-defeated here. We can't stop them. They're just going to conquer everything. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at this time. So Balak's the king. Balak is the king of, the, of Moab. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, son of Beor, at Pithor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. So again, the reports, they've gotten through to the kings of these various nations. They know where the Israelites have come from. They know the different lands they've come through. They know the battles that they have fought and the victories that they have won. 
And so he sends for this man, Balaam, and he says, uh, look, a people has come from Egypt. Well, it's the Israelites. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. The face of the earth, well, it's hyperbolic language, purposeful exaggeration for the sake of emphasis. They weren't covering the face of the earth, but they were so numerous that they were covering a a wide span of the area around the nation of Moab. And he says, here they've come, they're settling next to me. Therefore, he's talking to Balaam, he says, therefore, come at once, please, curse this people for me. They are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So Balaam is supposed to be a spiritual man. And Balak recognizes that, so Balaam has some reputation here, some notoriety. And Balak the king says, I know that whoever you curse is cursed, and whoever you bless is blessed. So I want you to curse this people, these Israelites, because they're too mighty for me to defeat in battle by myself, on my own. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. So they have payment (laughs) with them, and they're going to give it to Balaam if he will curse the Israelites so that their king, Balak, king of Moab, can defeat Israel in battle. In verse 8, he said to them, lodge here tonight. Now that is Balaam tells these messengers, these elders of Moab, uh, he tells them, lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you. As the Lord speaks to me, so so the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Now it's interesting. And when we look at the text in verse eight here of chapter 22, Balaam says, I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. And the word Lord is all caps there, indicating this is the name of the Lord. It would be translated yod heh in the Hebrew, and it would be the primary name of God. And so it's, it's, it's interesting. Now, when they would use the word Lord in a more common sense, the, it, would, it would be lowercase letters. But this is all uppercase, all capitals, L-O-R-D. So Balaam apparently is to be understood as a man of God a holy man of God. Now, perhaps a prophet, I'm not sure we could understand that for sure, but a supposedly a man of God. And he has this reputation. Balak, the king of Moab, knows about Balaam. And so he has sent his emissaries 
to ask him, please, I want you to watch over the people of Israel here, and I want you to curse them so that I can defeat them in battle because they're too mighty for me by myself. And so Balaam tells the messengers from Moab, um, stay here, you know, stay here, spend the night here. So they do. The princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Now, verse 9 is key. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? God came to Balaam? Well, it doesn't mean God suddenly appeared before Balaam in the night. Perhaps he sent an angel. Perhaps he simply spoke to Balaam in a vision or in a dream. But God was communicating with Balaam. And so again, apparently Balaam was a man of God, a holy man of God in some way. And so he asks Balaam, who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. So Balak, uh, or Balaam is being honest with God. This is what these, these men are here for. They want me to curse Israel so that Balak, the king of Moab, can defeat them in battle, drive them out. Verse 12, and God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not go with these men. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So God is telling Balaam, no, 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 you do not do what they're asking you to do. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak, that was their king, and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Well, what does Balak, the king of Moab, do? Is he going to give up? He does not give up. So Balaam rose, uh, so uh, the princes of Moab, they went back to Balak. They give him the message from Balaam. He's not going to go with us. Balak again sends princes, more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Hmm. What would be Balaam's response? Now, they, the king of Moab is, is trying to buy him, basically. I'm going to honor you greatly. He's going to give him a lot of money. He perhaps put him in a position of great honor and authority within the land of Moab. Well, what does Balaam do? Verse 18, Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Well, Balaam tells these servants, these emissaries from the king of Moab, I cannot go beyond what God tells me to do. 
Balak, the king of Moab, he could fill his house with silver and gold. Give all of that to me. I cannot accept that and disobey God. So Balaam sounds like an honorable, faithful, holy man of God to this point. But remember what the Apostle Paul wrote? The love of money is a root of all evil. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Balaam, this holy man of God, who has already received instruction from God, you don't go with these men. You're not going to curse Israel. He's being sorely tempted. Sorely tempted. And so he tells the servants, these servants of Balak, even if Balak, the king of Moab, fills his house with gold and silver and gives that to me, I cannot go against God. But then he says, now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know more what the Lord will say to me. Well, the Lord's already told him. (laughs) But Balaam's opening that door again. Stay here tonight. Let me hear what the Lord's going to tell me tonight. We're going to pick up at that point next time. We need to be careful about letting riches of this world or materialism or anything else that is of this world tempt us into disobeying God and turning from his guidelines, his instructions communicated to us in his word. Let's pray. Father, help us to always beware of all the different ways that the devil will try to bring us away from you and into disobedience to you and therefore sin. Help us to realize that anything that is contrary to your will will be to our destruction if we take part in it. Help us to be wise and to always look to you for your guidance and to always study your word so that we can see how to to faithfully serve you all of our days on this earth, and thereby be able to look forward to being with you in heaven forever. Help people see these truths, Father, we pray. And help us to be examples before all around us of these truths and of your love for us. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.